Gracious God, we give you thanks that your light has come and dwelt among us, that your light shines in our heart and in our community. Help us walk with confidence in your light to be people of courage, people of truth-telling, people of hope-giving in our world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I always love when the story of Nicodemus comes on Time Change Sunday. <laughs> because aren't we all crawling out of the darkness to the light today? <laughs> Just like Nicodemus. It's been a dark morning. <laughs> but here we are in the light gathered together. And kudos to you for overcoming this obstacle to worship today. And welcome to the 8 o'clock service for those of you who uh, <laughs> do not have smartphones. <clears throat> also, thank you for overcoming the obstacle of this virus that's out there in the world. I know some people are taking proper precaution and staying at home, and we love them and support them in that. Thank you for also coming out and making public witness. We will be here. Your clergy and staff will be here for you no matter what, so have that reassurance. The principle we're operating under is quite simple. For those who are vulnerable or feel threatened by the COVID-19 virus, we bless you. We want to protect you. We will do everything we can to be careful and do what you need to do. Those of us who um, have hearty health and are not worried about the virus, we will be people of good courage and not forget our duties to you and to everyone in our community. I've always been inspired by the Christian witness in times of pandemic. We step up, we give care, we refuse to stop touching and caring and loving and being present. So multiple calls in this moment of time, but thank you for being here in any case. Back to Nicodemus which relates to what I just said. You'll notice that in the Nicodemus story today, your bulletin doesn't match what was read. Because I extended the lectionary reading under my own authority. Because I am truly annoyed when whoever puts the lectionary together cuts Jesus off in mid-thought. Actually, kind of a rude interruption today. He didn't get his whole discourse said before the lectionary cut him off. And to me, it's crucial to understanding his interaction with Nicodemus because what he's doing with Nicodemus is inviting Nicodemus into a public faith. He's inviting Nicodemus to come out of a secret, hidden faith into a faith that displays his commitments in the light of day. In the last line you heard Carol read makes that abundantly clear. Those who are in God, in the light of God, show that light in the public display of their lives. Those who are in the shadow, who are still 
obscured in their relationship with God, live out their light, their life avoiding the light, avoiding the truth. And Nicodemus's life, as it progresses through the Gospel of John, demonstrates what Jesus is inviting him to. This is not the only time Nicodemus shows up in the Gospel of John. He makes three appearances, beginning, middle, and end. Interesting. He shows up in chapter 3, coming to Jesus in the darkness, clearly attracted to Jesus, clearly wanting to know what this teacher has to share who makes great signs. He appears again in chapter 7, where he is in the Sanhedrin, the gathering of Jewish religious authorities that he's a part of. And in that setting, the deliberation of the day is, what should we do about this Jesus guy? And the temple police are present, and the authorities are present. And in that moment, it says, Nicodemus speaks up and says, at least he deserves a fair trial. So with some courage, Nicodemus speaks up on behalf of Jesus. He's immediately shut down because the anxiety is such that they're not looking for a fair trial. They're looking to put Jesus down. Then finally, in the 19th chapter of John, Nicodemus reappears for the third time. Working in tandem with Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus is giving good care to the corpse of Jesus who is being taken down from the cross. And it says explicitly about Joseph of Arimathea, and I think implied about Nicodemus, that they were secret believers in Jesus, secret followers of Jesus. And I would add, until this moment, because Nicodemus brings a hundred pounds of aloes and myrrh to prepare Jesus's body for burial. Now, was it a hundred pounds? Yes, that's not the Bible being literal. That's just Bible shorthand for a whole hell of a lot of aloe and myrrh. If you want a visual, that's five gallons. Five gallons of liquid is 42 pounds. So we're talking two and a half of these. Two and a half five-gallon buckets that Nicodemus brought to the foot of the cross. Now, growing up, taking care of the family horses and hauling one of these things full of water every day, they're heavy. Try it. What this underlines is how extravagant and abundant Jesus's, sorry, Nicodemus's action of love and adoration and care is to Jesus in this moment. There is no hiding what he's doing here. The smell alone would have filled Jerusalem. 
he is coming out as a follower of Jesus by a public display of adoration and love. He would have become known at great personal danger and risk. So in the course of these three episodes of Nicodemus, he has become what Jesus called him to be. He has become what Jesus called him to be, someone who wears his allegiance to Jesus in public at great personal risk. From the story of Nicodemus, we are asked to examine ourselves in three areas. Crisis, transparency, and exposure. Crisis, transparency, and exposure. The first is crisis. In the Gospel of John, wherever Jesus encounters a person, it creates a crisis. A moment of decision. A moment of what path will I choose? Who will I be in allegiance with? And we see this in the story of Nicodemus and Jesus. This moment of crisis, this moment of decision. Who am I? What do I stand for? In whom do I put my trust? Who do I belong to? And what does that mean for the rest of my life? That is the encounter with Jesus. In German theology, it's crisis with a K, which I like, because it reminds me of an 80s hairband name, crisis. It's like really gritty crisis. You've got to make a choice here. The first thing Jesus does is put a crisis in front of us. Whose are we? What do we stand for? What do we believe? Where do we see the truth? Next, there's this notion of transparency. Jesus is the light. Those who stand in the light know the light, and the light moves through them, and they move towards the light. This is John 9 language at its best. One of the funniest things humans do is think we can hide things from God. I find it very amusing that we think we can lie to God. The one who sees everything, knows everything. We're going to just kind of keep this secret over here from God. And it's also one of the great gifts of learning God's love is that we learn God's truth and God's light pervades us and sets us free from all these lies and secrets and obscurities. And it lightens our load tremendously to learn that I can be fully honest about who I am and my gifts and liabilities, and God's love surrounds it all. It speaks right to our fear of rejection, right to our fear that we will be forgotten if we're not perfect, that relationship will end if we don't have everything right. But this love of God, this light of God pervades makes us transparent, and over time means we are not hiding, lying, keeping secrets, evading, having masks. 
And it's an incredibly liberating invitation. Lastly, after personal transparency is public exposure. And this is the step that Nicodemus takes. And notice that he takes it directly after the crucifixion. Jesus has foreshadowed it in John 3.16, the passage even Episcopalians can quote. Jesus has foreshadowed it in 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And here, right after the foreshadowing comes true and the self-offering of God is all too real and described in John as the glory of God, God's full disclosure of God's love, how far God is willing to go to love us, holding nothing back, then Nicodemus, in response to this revelation, has what he needs to take the step into public exposure, to take the step into putting his cards on the table. I follow Jesus. He orders my life. He is the center of my life, and I will stand and fall by his values. It's this public moment of affinity and allegiance that is possible after the crucifixion. So crisis, personal transparency, public exposure. We are called out by the story of Nicodemus to be known in the world by our commitments and specifically by our commitment to the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We remember this with special feeling today because today is International Women's Day. And why am I preaching is a good question. <laughs> well, I make the rota, <laughs> and I made a mistake. <laughs> but I'll make the best of it here. So the modern American women's movement started in 1848 in Seneca Falls, New York. Took until 1920 to earn the right to vote for women. 72 years of struggle. 72 years of fierce struggle where the truth was the truth. Women are equal to men but it had to be won publicly. It had to be won at great cost and sacrifice, great courage and sacrifice, by women who risked reputation, abuse, physical, mental, spiritual abuse by church, society, and neighbor to get the right thing done against massive patriarchal resistance. 72 years of struggle to get to such a basic recognition of the equality of men and women that women can vote. Now today, a hundred and years after that, 172 years after Seneca Falls, we are still engaging that struggle. And I bring this up 
because we need to have a sober estimation of the powers we're standing up against. Our call to public witness to the light, the truth, and the love of Jesus Christ is going to take endurance. It's going to take community. It's going to take a long-term view. We're not going to win tomorrow. We're going to win across 172 or more years against the forces allied against the light. We should be sobered by International Women's Day and inspired by the sacrifice, the struggle, the commitment, the public stepping out for truth that we're called to do. Just last year in 2019 in the Episcopal Church, we elected six 64% of the bishops we elected were women. Up from five. Ten more years, we'll have an equal number of women and men in the House of Bishops. Last year, half of the bishops elected were people of color. I bring this up as a cause of celebration and also a moment of reflection. I think we should celebrate that our church, after long struggle, is starting, starting to get the progress in place that was hard won by sacrifice. Sober because we have so much longer to go. We gather together to give ourselves what we need to become like Nicodemus, to risk the public exposure for the sake of truth. Because we know the truth will prevail just as Christ rises on the third day. Amen.